Welcome to To Live in Law in LA. I'm Shannon Egan here with my co-host Neil Gogger, and we're joined by our two guests, Justin Thompson and Garth Bostick. Both work in our real estate group. Justin is a partner in a real estate group, and Garth is an associate in the real estate practice. Uh, today, we're sitting down to talk about autonomous vehicles, and they're giving us their insight on the field as well as its effect on the city of Los Angeles. Garth and Justin, thanks for coming in. Uh, it's good to have you here. And um, so we're here to talk about driverless cars. So I, I think we'll just start with the basics. How do they work and how well do they actually work? How do autonomous vehicles work? Yeah. Well, <laughs> Is it witchcraft? An easy question first, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. There's a genie in the bottle. Okay. In the no. Uh, in all seriousness, uh, there's technology uh, that's been out there for quite a while that allows a computer to read the cues of the road and operate the car uh, in a quote-unquote safe manner. Uh, obviously, the technology continues to evolve. Uh, according to, is it the um, National Transportation Board, I think? It might be the state of California. I'm actually not 100% sure where these levels came from, but there's five levels of vehicle autonomy. Um, Garth might be able to speak to them a little bit better than I can, but I think right now we have level three autonomy. Level five autonomy is you're sitting in the back seat sleeping. Okay. Uh, and so, you know, it's projected, I think, that we'll have the capability for level five autonomy sometime in the next decade. Now, whether or not those, those vehicles operate on the road is a completely different question. Got it. Yeah. That's, there's different levels, and I think that you probably know that some of that exists right now. Right, yeah. you see test videos of people not touching the wheel and it's going down the road. Or well, even I mean, you can purchase a a Tesla or a BMW that has some uh, automation capabilities. They can park themselves. Right, they can or exist in stop a short if someone super cuts you control. off. Right. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, already already we're kind of there are vehicles out there on the road that have probably a level two or a level three. And level five is what people think of when they think of driverless cars or autonomous vehicles. It's, it's like Justin said, getting in the back, falling asleep on your commute or doing work, uh, things like that. And that, that's when that occurs, I think that's when we'll probably see a real uh, mobility revolution, as some people would call it. But there is, there is actually in Las Vegas, they were experimenting, I, I think it was about a month ago, I saw oh, in the I news with an shuttle. autonomous shuttle. Yeah. The great irony of that is, of course, <laughs> that within the first hour of yeah. operation, the autonomous shuttle had an accident with, yeah. a, with a human-driven truck. Right, I see. Human error. Well, yes. th this is actually a topic I wanted to ask you about because I, I, in one of the articles that the two of you have written, you talked about how autonomous cars aren't really going to solve congestion, right? But they're really just a replacement for the driving the driver themselves with the technology. Correct. And so it seems that when you get to that level five of autonomy, you're really talking about basically a single serve bus, right? And in some ways, we're talking about the shuttle, right? Multiple people can ride the sing the autonomous bus. So, is do you view the driverless car technology as something that? is designed to be seamlessly integrated into public transportation or is this something where are we diver diverting resources that could be going to a better public transportation system that that is the big policy question right now is for instance uh in los angeles where we are right now uh, in the county metro the county of los angeles recently passed a direct democracy proposition that increased the sales tax within 
Los Angeles. And those additional funds are going to go towards 50-some, I think, uh, projects. Infrastructure projects, right. Yeah, with, and some of them are highways, but some, a lot of them are light rail, uh, bus lines. Mm-hmm. And this is coming out until, I mean, they're, they're looking to, this will fund until 2050-something, I okay. think. Wow. And so the, the question is, okay, why are we still building busways when we know autonomous vehicles are coming within the next decade or so and so those will be adopted really, at some point it's not diverting resources just yet or at least it's not being built into these plans at least within our own county right. it sounds like from what you're saying no yeah it's yeah. not and I, I think a lot of it has to do with there's still question marks on how people are going to use them how they'll be implemented um if it's something that can be i mean some people will say this is the solution to a first mile last mile problem that exists mm-hmm. uh, which in other words is saying how do we get individuals to use trains and use public transportation more frequently uh, within the problem existing between the first mile to the actual mm-hmm. public transit origin and then the last mile between that, the the end of the public transit, like, for instance, the end of the train station to their actual destination. Okay. And so if there are, for instance, shuttles that autonomous shuttles that come through your neighborhood and are just constantly picking people up and dropping them off at the tr- local train station, then maybe that's an integration that will get more people using public transit. But the other reality says, okay, well, maybe autonomous vehicles will be cheap enough that you will have a subscription service to Ford and you will just call a car every morning. Mm -hmm. And that car will be driving around your neighborhood waiting for someone to pick up and it'll pick you up. And then instead of just, and Justin talks about this a lot, but instead of just Mm -hmm. actual licensed drivers on the road, and rush hour, you'll have even non-licensed drivers. You'll have high school students or people who would maybe even normally take a bus, but now it becomes economical for them to take a car. And right. then all of a sudden the congestion problem is a bigger problem, right. which is a big deal for places like Los Angeles. Does that answer your question or was that just me talking? No, that was very helpful. I mean, but I, I think, but you, <laughs> you raise a lot of interesting questions about how the technology might integrate, right? And I, when I think about Los Angeles, I sometimes think about earthquakes and power outages mm-hmm. and all these other things, right? And, and the need to get somewhere fast, whether or not you can, right? So if I, and so if I think about this future you're talking about where I subscribe to Ford and I have to call a car, right? And I've, I've gone out on a Friday night, you call Uber or Lyft or something, right? It takes 15 minutes to get to your house. Well, what happens when someone in your house is having a heart attack and they've got to drive immediately, right? What happens if there's an emergency and you've got to drive off of a prescribed road, right? What happens when we lose power and none of this stuff works? I I think back to going in college and having to push my, you know, I couldn't afford a starter for my car, but I could push the car down the road and pop the clutch and rip off and that worked for six more months, (laughs) right? So how do we, do you think there will be analog style kind of backups built into this technology or are we just basically handing ourselves over? Well, I think at some level you are handing yourself over, frankly. I think that in the future uh, with, you know, this isn't really so much autonomous vehicles, but uh, uh, electric vehicles in general, what you're going to see is is that the people that have gas-powered vehicles are doing it as a hobby, as a, as a pastime, as, as whatever. You know, it's, uh, it's something that's interesting to them, and those will become the exception rather than the rule. So in that sense, I think we are handing themselves over. Although, you know, just to piggyback on something that Garth was saying, and as a follow-up to the, the question that you asked earlier, I think when you hold these two uh, approaches to public transportation in L.A. up next to each other, and by that I mean 
the uh, the rail system, for example, the bus system, the public transportation that we have in place now versus the technology that autonomous vehicles present and the solutions that that presents. This is sort of the the inventors, uh, the, the technological solution to the long, slow, plodding progress that you see with public transportation in L.A. And, and, and not just L.A., pretty much anywhere. I mean, millions, hundreds upon hundreds of millions of dollars are put into these infrastructure systems that are required for these public transportation solutions that we have now. Uh, people talk about that bullet train from L.A. to San Francisco, <laughs> for example, which may or may not ever happen. Right. Uh, right. Whereas, you know, autonomous vehicles, uh, this is technology finding ways around the problems and, and the speed bumps along the way that exist. And so they've developed V2V technology, which is the vehicle to vehicle communication and V2I, which is vehicle to infrastructure mm -hmm. uh, solutions. And it's amazing what hurdles they can overcome without any assistance whatsoever from the the government. Of course, one of the things that Garth and I talk about, though, is that in order for this to really turn into a transportation revolution, there are two major hurdles that they cannot overcome by themselves. The first is that if you don't want to just replace the one person, one car on the 405 situation, you've, you've got to implement some sort of ride sharing incentive so that you have more than one person in a car. Uh, the second thing is is that governments have local governments in particular have to get on board by loosening up uh, their requirements for the streets, uh, but most importantly for their parking. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, I think those two points are key to realizing the the uh, enormous uh, positive benefits that autonomous vehicles can offer. Uh, it's it's not a replacement for public transportation, but it certainly would be an incredible supplement. Yeah, absolutely. And you think about it from um, the perspective of maybe uh, people with vested interests or organizations with vested interests in this. And I imagine there could be some pushback from some of the automotive companies, just kind of thinking it from that perspective. It seems like there would be pushback against ride sharing services just from a sheer sales standpoint, you have to imagine. So uh, with some of these like really big influential organizations, and I think we saw how influential they were in the bailout you know, a few years ago that do you think that there'll be pushback from um, these organizations or have you seen that at all? Well, what I mean, I'm sure Garth has thoughts on this, too. But what I what I think will happen and, and uh, I think the easiest way to sum this up is, is that uh, I heard somebody nail nail it on the head, I think, uh, by saying that automobile companies in order to survive are going to have to become technology companies. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, so you can see that in the cars that are becoming popular with people now. They want uh, luxury now right. instead of the sport. I mean, there's always going to be people out there yeah. that want the muscle car and that sort of thing. But the vast majority of people that are buying cars now want a navigation system, want the Bluetooth, want the creature comforts that we've all come to, to yeah. know and, and love, frankly, of integration with all these other things. You want to be able to be functional and productive when you're on your way to your destination right. and it's no longer just about like well how much horsepower does that car have again there will always be this set of people out there that are about that right but i think right. that that's a shrinking population and so i think that automobiles makers are recognizing that and they're also uh taking the, the proactive steps to partner up with the Lyfts and the Ubers and the other autonomous vehicle, yeah. uh, well, sorry, the other ride-sharing services out there to try to try to have control of their future. Yeah. So I, I don't think it's an us against them. I think uh, the savvy auto, automobile manufacturers are partnering up and ensuring their future 
is is just an evolved version of what they are now. But I mean, what do dealerships look like in fifteen years? Right. I mean, I mean, we're we're real estate lawyers, so that's that's also another real estate question. I mean, what's what's going to happen to that land? Uh, you know, are there going to be sales? I mean, will they, that be a, a niche market? I think Justin will always own a car. I, think, <laughs> I, I mean, I think I'll probably own. I have kids. I mean, I'll own. At so there's at least one. two sales left. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're here for them. So as real estate lawyers, how did you get involved in this field and what kind of drew you to the um, autonomous vehicle space? You know, it's an interesting uh, uh, story because we presented a, um, a continuing legal education program. Oh, okay. Uh, Rudy Sallow, Daniel Olayev, and I put together one about almost three years ago now. And each of us focused on a particular area. So Daniel spoke, Daniel spoke about the regulatory aspects. Okay. Uh, Rudy spoke about the infrastructure impacts. And I spoke about the real estate impacts. And it was an idea that in researching it really took hold because in particular in L.A., where we do a lot of representation of developers, we recognize that if this technology were to catch on, it can basically redefine what the highest and best use of certain properties around LA is. And that is the benchmark for assessing the value of a property. Okay. So if you can now redefine the highest and best use, and what, what I mean by that is decoupling the parking mm-hmm. or reducing the parking counts, okay. then you've got more square footage to put to other more productive uses, more high value uses. For example, in an apartment project, if you had to have a thousand square feet, that's a bad example, 10,000 square feet. <laughs> uh, only, and, only you and Garth are parking in this apartment. <laughs> right, right, right. If you had to have X square feet devoted to parking, now autonomous vehicles, if you're, if you're able to adjust the parking count based upon the existence of autonomous vehicles and ride sharing and all these other things we're talking about, now you've got more square footage that you can put in additional apartments. Right, more revenue. More revenue and, and whatnot. And on top of that, if you're able to partner up with a ride sharing service that, or a tech, another type of technology company that exclusively provides that service to your residents and you can take a cut of the profit as the owner of that project, mm-hmm. Now it's now it's a way to replace the parking revenue that you used to have on that project with something else. So the possibilities are are really only limited by your imagination at this point. Mm-hmm. And you were you were talking about how you know this will be time back to people. You'll be able to sit in the car, and I think you know as lawyers we all are constantly taking phone calls in the car and doing work in the car anyway. But how do you think that the removing of driving will sort of change the culture? Of LA, I mean, it's, it's such a car-defined city. It's such a city where people, you have nothing to talk about at a party to talk about how bad the traffic was, right? So, well, you, I mean, you you might still, still do that. Might do that, yeah. Right. I mean, it still could be very much a car-centric environment, and it will be about what you did on the way to work this morning, or what did you watch, and what are you watching right now in your car, or something like that. I think that uh, it could quite possibly still be a part of the landscape in Los Angeles. And a lot of people see the coming mobility revolution, to use that term again, even though it's pretty nerdy, um, <laughs> as uh, this last, Los Angeles is really kind of ground zero for it. This is kind of like the lab that the world is looking at to see how we're going to adjust what's going to happen here. But I, I think that Justin's right. I think that lawmakers, uh, there's a lot there that needs to happen. I mean, our parking requirements and this city and the surrounding cities are already antiquated and based on an idea of LA that's from uh, the 50s and 60s and it's uh, it's vastly different now back then you really could just drive from one corner to the other 
and it was kind of this autopia. But I mean, for you talk about cultural change uh, within autonomous vehicles, something that could happen is that people might have a greater tolerance for living farther away from where they work or for where they commute for whatever reason every day. Mm-hmm. And so uh, 15 years ago or 20 years ago, that's how growth happened around here. Right. It, there was a, that's, you know, that's the idea of sprawl, master plan communities on the outer edge of the city. Right. And people would commute in and uh, I think, you know, around the the housing crash that kind of changed and people started thinking twice about it but uh, i mean if you if it takes you an hour and a half but you don't mind i mean right. if you can literally stay in bed yeah well and you do kind of see that now with you know like, i think less so on the west coast but if, if for example in new york right very expensive to live in new york but there are a ton of people who will com- commute every single day from philadelphia or from all reaches of new jersey or deep out past westchester right and and because they know they can have that time to read a book or do some work or something they're more inclined to find the cheaper property values although it sounds like from this the property values might go up out there too yeah that's interesting i mean there's there's a lot out there but i mean it's you still might there's still environmental and other quality of life problems that come with that right Mm -hmm. and so that's something that Decision makers, planners, um, legislators need to think about right. in, the, in the coming years. They need to get ready for that within parking requirements and where are people going to live? How are we going to deal with this? Yeah, I mean, Garth Gar touched on something major, with, in my opinion, with, with respect to commute tolerance. Because that's going to be, if autonomous vehicles are adopted the way many people expect them to be, there's this inherent sort of uh, tension between what they call the new urbanism about living closer to work and not having to deal with any commute at all, you know, all the downtown L.A. Uh, units that are going into up and people are moving down here and that type of thing versus the um, urban sprawl. It's what, what the, the naysayers call it, uh, of people willing to sit in a car for an hour and a half if they don't have to be behind the wheel and be able to do work, read a book, whatever you'd like to, whatever you'd like to use that time for, and instead have their place at the beach or have their, their backyard, you know, the mm-hmm. things that you can't mm-hmm. get if you live in a highly dent, a really dense area. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how that unfolds but you know these are all assumptions too i mean even the idea of like oh people will sleep or read a book in their car is an assumption mm-hmm. because i mean at some point you you're not going to be able to say to your employer oh well i was stuck in traffic i couldn't get this done or you know there's at right. some point yeah that could be a real consequence <laughs> at some point your boss is going to say well i was working on the way to work this morning mm-hmm. i had my laptop out i know what kind of car you are in not driving it's driving right. you <laughs> So why didn't, you know, so I think your workday starts when you get in the vehicle in the morning. I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, that, that's just, that's an aside, but it's, it's an example of, there's a lot of things down the line, which, I mean, we're thinking about it particularly in a built environment and real estate context, or what are the, the, what are the effects of, the, of this that are not readily apparent? And that that is... There is a whole host of those things all across the spectrum, not just with regard to real estate, but with regard to how people work, how people live, how they're going to move around. Right. It's interesting to think about. And no one really knows what's going to happen. Well, but there are two statistics out there that I think offer some insight into it. One is that I think it's 85 percent, maybe even above 85 percent of the time that you own a car, it sits unused. 
right? Wow. So that's a, that's a big number, especially mm-hmm. when you factor in how much of the, how much capital you spend, how much of your disposable income you spend right. on a car, mm-hmm. right? So now if you don't have to have a car and instead can buy into a service, admittedly there will be payments for that, but is that, how much of your income is that freeing up to be used for more productive purposes? Right. Uh, like a down payment on a, a condominium unit or a, a house, which you know we all know in real, real estate in LA is super expensive. So you know that could be the down payment for all you know. The second one is also, I believe 85%, might even be higher, is, is the number of accidents that are caused by human error. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now if you get autonomous vehicles up to speed and you take out the human error aspect of it, What's the implication of that on how much more free flow you get on on our roads and highways? Right. I was thinking, what's the effect on the insurance market? Right. Well, oh, I think true. yeah, the insurance market is, I think, not going to miss out on their piece of the pie on this. <laughs> okay. It will be built into other aspects of the ride sharing service right. or whatnot. Uh, they'll be have to be more creative, of course, because people without cars don't need auto insurance. But right. The, the service fee that you pay. We'll have that incorporated. We'll have insurance incorporated. So you'll be playing it. It'll just be not a direct payment the way it used to be. No, but it raises that question, right, which is that if you have the price of – let's say you assume a higher human error rate rather than a computerized error rate, right? So then if therefore – let's say it's an exponentially less likely you're going to get into a car accident, should the cost of that insurance be exponentially lower and will the insurance companies be willing to accept a cut in their profits? Well, I think they'll find other means of, uh, you know, making that up, right? I mean, insurance companies aren't, aren't exactly about to give away uh, that opportunity. And so I think that just as autonomous vehicles uh, present somewhat of an unpredictable future uh, for all of us, I think they do for insurance companies as well. But I think insurance companies like automaker, automobile makers will evolve. Yeah. And Absolutely. they won't miss out on it. And all this seems a little bit distant out, but what do you guys see in the next few years? What does, you know, the progression of autonomous vehicles look like in L.A. in the next 5, 10, 15 years? Right. When do we have complete fleet turnover? <laughs> I think we're a ways from fleet turnover. I think... So no naps in the next couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> well, what you might have are uh, grids, kind of geo-fenced areas yeah. where there are shuttles or certain licensed vehicles that are able to take people from one place to the other um i don't know if that'll be here i haven't heard of any specific plans for that but i think that that is probably the first iteration i think uber started that in pittsburgh is it do you remember hearing about that so i mean that already exists within the united states right um and so i think that within the next five to ten years you're going to see more of that happening so if you're a kid born in la tonight will you (laughs) will you ever learn to drive a car that's a really good question I, I I would say, and I am by far uh, in no way in no way an odds maker, but I'd mm-hmm. say it might be fifty fifty for a kid born today. Would be my guess. I mean, because that's what sixteen years down the road before yeah. you're eligible for a license, and statistics show that people there's a declining rate of people even right now uh, obtaining wow. driver's licenses in urban areas. So I think you know you throw another sixteen years on that, the development of technology, the improvement of the public transportation system, and all these other factors. Uh, yeah, I would say fifty fifty. Hmm. Fascinating. All right. So final question: uh, When are we go- going to get flying cars? 
<laughs> when are we going? When are we going full Jetsons? That's what I want to know. People are talking about this. The mayor is talking about this. I think. Then it must be happening. Yeah. Well, I think it's amazing because you, another area that Garth and I have written an article, uh, written at least one article on, and talked a fair amount about are is drones. And so this mm-hmm. is sort of the marriage of autonomous vehicles and drones. If you talk, if you think about it right. in those terms, right? And right. one of the issues that we have, I, I just perplexing to me, but we haven't seen anyone address is who owns the airspace that these cars would ostensibly drive through and when you have decades of people selling the air rights over their buildings exactly right right. so isn't that trespassing i mean we all Mm -hmm. went to law school it's property 101 right you own the you know conceptually you Mm -hmm. own uh, from the center of the earth to the heavens above when you buy a piece of property now it's like that whole bundle of sticks concept where you're giving certain things away and i think there's well-known uh case law out there that says that above 400 feet you kind of don't really own for the most part, I'm overgeneralizing here, but uh, if if these things are going to dry, fly in the air below 400 feet, which I think is a fair bet, mm-hmm. then if they fly over your property, they're trespassing. So I don't know how they plan to solve that problem, but that is something that I'm really interested to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if they fall out of the sky, they'll, they'll probably kill more than just you. So it's, uh, there's some other, <laughs> there's some practical barriers to that as well. Yeah. A great way to end. All right. Well, the uplifting note. Yeah, Justin, Garth, thank you for so much for coming Thanks in. For this is fascinating, and uh, we hope to have you back sometime soon. Really appreciate great. it. Thank you. This has been to live in law in LA. The views expressed on this podcast do not reflect the views of Nixon Peabody LLP and should not be construed as legal advice. This podcast is not intended to create a lawyer-client relationship, and listeners should not act upon anything expressed without seeking professional counsel. This podcast may constitute attorney advertising under various state ethics rules, and prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome.